Thank you very much. I got the chills. That doesn't mean anything, but I did get the chills. Um, I don't operate on the chills, but sometimes God just moves when when a message like that is being presented. Good morning. I'd like you to take your Bibles, your study sheets, if you uh, choose to follow along on those and take notes. Uh, this is an important time today, uh, jumping right into the message because it's our final message in uh, the series that we began the new year with. We've been doing uh, studies following the theme of one, talking about unity. And this will be the sixth and final wrap-up message. I pray that this has turned out to be a really good way to start the year for you personally. To spend these weeks thinking about and looking at God's word concerning unity among his people. Now, as the months go on, I pray that we will see as a church how God will use these six weeks. It's one thing to go through this series. It's one thing to really enjoy it and and learn from it during the six weeks. But the purpose of this series was that we now will, in the months ahead, begin to practice what we have been thinking about and learning. So today what I want to do is I want to give a quick review, just so those of you who may have not been with us can catch up a little bit, but also those who have been here to uh, be reminded of what we've talked about. And then we're going to look at the heart of the Apostle Paul, which has been really uh, motivational for me. And then we're going to wrap up the series, and I'm going to ask you to respond to what God has been saying. So that's what's up for the rest of our time. Let's uh, pray together. Our Father, we're very grateful to you for this day and those who've come out to worship you. And Father, it's been so good to sing these songs uh, and to hear that last song sung. Uh, Father, it just reminds us of how blessed we are to know you, how blessed we are to know Jesus and what he did for us and what he continues to do for us. And Father, I thank you for the family of God. I thank you for the body of Christ over which he is the head. Thank you that we all who know Jesus are a part of that body and that family. And God, I pray that we will take the things that we've been learning, that you've been putting on our minds, uh, and practice them in the months ahead. And, and use today's wrap-up, Lord, to even further motivate us in that direction. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, to review, the first thing I should uh, remind you of is that we do have a theme verse for this series. And uh, it's from Psalm 133, the first verse. Uh, it is there on your study sheet to remind you. And there the psalmist says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together 
in unity. Isn't that a great verse? What a great statement. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. On your study sheet, I want you to do something if you have a pen or a pencil. In that verse, I'd like you to circle the words live together. Live together. Because the verse says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. I want to suggest that it's very difficult for God's people to live together in unity if they're not together. Am I crazy or is that logical? How do you live together in unity if you're not living together? If you're not doing life together? If you're not walking through the difficulties of life together? If you're not experiencing the joys of life together? If you're not walking through grief together? If you're not worshiping together? If you're not spending time in God's Word together, do you get the point? How do God's people live together in unity if they are not living together? Yesterday I watched uh, a service from one of the big mega churches in our country. It was great. The band and the music was wonderful, the speaker was dynamic. But I don't know any of them. I don't know what's going on in that speaker's life. I don't know what gives those worship leaders joy these days. I don't know what the family situation is right now of those people. As enjoyable as that experience was, I can't live together in unity with those people. I don't even know them. Experiencing unity as Christians and living together in unity can only happen when you're living together. A Christian cannot isolate himself or herself and live together in unity with Christians. You've got to be together in order to do life together in unity. So that's my soapbox. And I wasn't even going to do that because we're just doing a review. But uh, that is our theme verse for this series, but we're not going to put it away and pack it up. Um, Most of you know that that theme verse is above the main entrance of the door um, as we come in the church. And it's going to be there the rest of the year. Uh, those of you who ever watch college football, and especially it's prevalent in college football, is sometimes when they show you when the game is about to start, the team's coming on the field. And they'll, they'll show you the teams coming from the locker room down this uh, walkway and onto the field. And if you've noticed, 
a lot of times when that team is coming to go on the field, there's something above them as they are about to enter the field. It's usually a sign that has a slogan or a, a quote or, or a picture, something that's important to the team that's supposed to motivate them. And what do they do when they're coming down the runway to enter the field? Every player jumps and touches that, that sign. It's almost like it's a good luck charm that's going to motivate them. Now, I am not promoting a good luck charm. And I am not suggesting that every time you enter our church through those doors this year, you jump up and touch that banner, all right? It's not a good luck charm, but it is the Word of God. And I encourage you, every time you walk into this building for the rest of this year, pause a few seconds, look up, and read that verse. And remind yourself as you enter this place, for whatever reason you're entering this place, that it is good and pleasant when the people of God live together in unity. May God just burn that truth into our minds and hearts this year. Okay, what else did we learn? Well, we learned that Jesus prayed for unity among his people. That's pretty important, isn't it? We looked at John 17 and we saw that Jesus before his uh, arrest and, and death and all those things that happened, he prayed for oneness among his people. We talked about how there are two aspects to unity. There is positional unity. Okay? Positional unity. That unity has been created by God. He has put it into place through the work of Jesus. When you come to Christ and experience the common salvation that all Christians have experienced, you become part of the one same family of God, the one same kingdom of God, the one same body of Christ, the one same church of Christ, universal. That's called positional unity. We share that in common. That's what unites us, and God has created that. Along with positional unity, we learn that there is relational unity. Relational unity has to do with relationships. That's how we carry on our relationships as God's people within our positional unity. That's when we practice our unity in our relationships. And that's really what we've been trying to focus on um, in this series. God has put such a unique crew of people together in his body. And we talked about that, right? We talked about the crew that Jesus gathered, the 12 men. And we took time to see how different they were and how there would have been no other situation where they would have come together and been united. And yet Jesus, the great unifier, brought those 12 different men together 
And what they had in common was Jesus. What they had in common was following and learning from Jesus. He's the great unifier. And then we came to the Lord's table. And we talked about Jesus and his cross and how through his cross he has unified us. That's how he created this positional unity that we are a part of when we know Jesus. But we talked about how specifically the Corinthian church that wasn't practicing relational unity, they were divided, they were quarreling, they let that move into other areas of their life, and they even brought that into the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper. And Paul had to rebuke them for that because the Lord's Supper is all about unity. It's about that common salvation that Jesus paid for on the cross to unify us, to break down barriers, to break down walls. And then we talked about the platform on which we stand as Christians. And the platform that was presented were the major doctrines of the Christian faith that are essential doctrines of our Christian faith. And it's not a long list, but it's an important list. It's non-negotiable. And it's the platform we firmly stand on. And even though we may not see eye to eye on other things, even things taught in Scripture, because we're able to stand unified on those major doctrines of Christianity, we can discuss those things and we can disagree on those things in what? Love. As we practice relational unity. And that brings us to today as we wrap up. Um, I want you to look at this statement on your sheet, top right. I'm going to read it through a couple times slowly because I really want it to sink in. It says, Jesus died to make us one. We must die to self daily in order to make that oneness a reality in practice. The New Testament talks about us dying to self, doesn't it? And if we're going to really make unity a reality in practice, it's going to call for us to die to self every day because it's self that gets in the way of relational unity. It's self-thinking, self-focus, self-interest, self-centeredness, and you can go on. It's self that keeps getting in the way of practicing this relational unity that Jesus prayed for, that the Bible teaches. Let me read it again. Jesus died to make us one. We must die to self daily in order to make that oneness a reality in practice. And as we go through some scriptures very quickly now, you're going to see that. You're going to see clearly that that is what the Apostle Paul kept teaching. You've got to die to self. You've got to die to self. 
Don't let self get in the way. Because we're going to find out that the Apostle Paul had a heart for the practice of unity in the churches. We're not going to spend a lot of time in each of these scriptures. But we're going to spend enough time that you will see clearly this was the heart of the Apostle Paul for the churches. That they be practicing their unity in their relationships. Along with the gospel message, this seems to be the emphasis of the Apostle Paul. So what we're going to do, you'll notice how it's put together on your sheet. We're going to look at what Paul writes to five different churches. Remember, a lot of his letters were to churches. We're going to look at five of those. The Roman church, the Corinthian church, the Ephesian, Philippian, and Colossian churches. And we're going to find that in every one of them, we see the heart of Paul for the practice of unity in those churches. So turn with me to the book of Romans. Romans. Chapter 12. Verse 10. He says to this church in the city of Rome, these Christians, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Do you see where self has to be denied there? Where the death of self needs to take place. If I'm going to honor you above myself, that's the heart of Paul. Notice verse 16. He says, live in harmony with one another. Harmony. Live in harmony, he says, to the Roman church. Chapter 14. In chapter 14, we find out that uh, the Christians in the Roman church were arguing back and forth about what's called disputable matters. Uh, things that aren't on that platform of major uh, doctrines of the Christian faith. Yet they were making them so important that they were arguing and judging each other and um, putting each other down for them. And, and Paul, rather than really taking sides strongly, he's more concerned about how they're dealing with it, their relational unity here. And just a couple things that show his heart. Verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. That's not what it's about. But that's what they were arguing about. But, he says, the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Mutually building each other up, not tearing each other down. And in verse 20, he says, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. You're taking these subjects you're disagreeing on. You're 
making them such big deals. And yet that's not what the kingdom of God is all about. It's about righteousness and peace and joy. That's the heart of Paul for the Roman church. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Writing to that church. 1 Corinthians 1. The Corinthian church was in a mess. A lot of problems in that church, and Paul has to write to address those problems. But one big one that was affecting everything else, it seems, was division. Quarreling about things. And from the get-go, he brings that up. 1.10. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you. And that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Do you see his heart? Agree. No divisions. One in mind and heart. But, verse 11, my brothers, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? The church had divided four ways. Over who was the leader? Who was the teacher? They should follow. In chapter 3, Paul says that's really immature. In fact, it's worldly, he says, in chapter 3. And these divisions and these quarrels over things not even on the platform, the major doctrines of the Christian faith, but what leaders you follow, was being brought into other areas. Because in chapter 6, we find out that Christians in this church were suing each other, bringing each other to court. Their divisions and quarreling had spilled over to the Lord's Supper, like we learned. Chapter 11, they were bringing those divisions and practicing disunity in a setting that was all about unity, the Lord's Supper. And then chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, we find out they had brought these quarrels and divisions into the whole area of spiritual gifts. And they were disagreeing on which gifts are better and which aren't necessary. And everybody wanted the same gift. And they looked down on people who didn't have what they thought were the better gifts. They were bringing their divisions and their disunity and practice into all these areas. And Paul has to keep talking about this. And you see his heart. His heart is just breaking for this church. Because they were not practicing relational unity. A third church. The church at Ephesus. The book of Ephesians. Book of Ephesians. One week we looked at uh, chapter 2, verses 11, to the end of the chapter, where Paul spends a lot of time describing this amazing thing that Jesus did. And he talks about Jesus going to the cross and shedding his blood and dying. And he says, Christ did that in order to bring the two together, referring to Gentiles and Jews. 
He talks about this barrier of hostility that was built up between those two groups of people. But he just emphasizes over and over, Jesus, through his death and his blood, has broken the barrier and made the two groups one, united them. And he calls it a mystery. In chapter 3, verse 6, he says, This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. There's the word together again. Members together of one body. There's the word together again. And sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. There's the word together again. Paul says this is an amazing, wonderful mystery that through the death and shed blood of Jesus, he has broken down these walls of hostility that come between people. And through Christ, he has made them one. He has put them in the same body. And so he comes to chapter 4. Starting in verse 1. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. There it is. Make every effort to keep, maintain, preserve, whatever word you have in your translation. Every effort. To preserve the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The bond of peace. And then he talks about those seven things that unite them. Their positional unity. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And basically he's saying that's what unites you. That's the positional unity. Now you make every effort to practice that. And how do you do that? Well, he told them. Verse 2, be completely humble. That means die to self. Be completely gentle. That's dying to self. Be patient. That's dying to self. Bear with one another in love. That's dying to self. He says that's how you keep the unity in the bond of peace. Do you see his heart? Do you see... What he longs for in the Ephesian church, same thing he longed for in the Roman church, the Corinthian church. Let's go to a fourth church, Philippians. Philippians. Here's the church of Philippi. We're going to see Paul's heart here in what he teaches. Chapter 2. Verse 1, he says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, that encourages you at all. If you have any comfort from his love, if the love of Christ gives you any comfort at all, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if you enjoy the Spirit of God being in your life, if any tenderness and compassion Then make my joy complete. There's his heart. You can make me happy by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in purpose. That's unity, isn't it? 
That's practicing unity. That's Paul's heart. He says, you want to make me happy? You want to cause me to experience joy and practice unity? How do we do that, Paul? Verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Die to pride. Die to selfishness. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. That's how you practice unity. Consider others as better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Because that's the attitude Jesus had when he came. And he goes on to talk about that. You see the heart of Paul? It's about practicing unity in the churches. He goes on in uh, chapter 2 and uh, says in verse 14, Do everything without complaining or arguing. Huh. There you see the heart of Paul. Come on, people. No arguing. No complaining. Chapter 4. He even names names here. Can you imagine sitting in the congregation when this is read out loud? Because that's how this took place. Somebody would come and read these letters out loud to the congregation. So you're these two women sitting in the congregation. And you've been enjoying this letter from Paul. And all of a sudden the reader says, verse 2, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche. Whoa, can you imagine if... If they're sitting there, they are startled at this point. They've been named. And he says, I plead with these two ladies. Agree with each other in the Lord. Something was going on between these two ladies in the church. And Paul says, I plead with you two ladies. Please. Agree in the Lord. In verse 3, he says, yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, probably the leader of the church, help these women. Help them. This was so much the heart of Paul that he had to name names and plead with these ladies to practice unity, to get along. The Colossian church. Book of Colossians. Chapter 2. In fact, I want to start um, maybe in verse 28 of chapter 1. Colossians 1.28. Just to see the heart of Paul. He says, we proclaim him, referring to Christ in the verse before. We proclaim Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ, mature in Christ. To this end, I labor. Struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you. It's the word for agonize. We're seeing his heart. He says, I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united 
in love. You see the heart of Paul for these churches? He says, I agonize over this. My purpose is that you be encouraged in heart and unified, united in love. Some Bibles say knit together in love, which is a wonderful picture, even though I don't understand knitting and have never done it. But I've watched people do it. And sometimes they're taking different colored pieces of yarn and they start knitting them together. And all of a sudden you have this beautiful outcome, right? This beautiful piece that's been knit together and yet it's made up of pieces of yarn that are different from each other. But when knit together, they make this one beautiful piece. And and Paul talks about that picture. He says, that's my purpose. That's what I agonize over for the churches, is that they would be encouraged in heart and that they would be knit together. Not all be exactly the same. They're different. But like different colored yarns, knit together, united in love as God's people. And then you have chapter 3, verse 12. You've got to get Paul's heart here. Colossians 3.12 Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together, there's the word again, together, in perfect unity, complete unity. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. You're members of one body, You share this positional unity. Now you are called to peace in that body, to practice peace. How, Paul? Well, he told us. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive each other. Love each other. It binds you in complete unity. You see the heart of Paul? That's just five churches. And in writing to all five, you can't get away from this heart that he has for the practice of unity, relational unity in those churches. It was so important to Paul. Relational unity was Jesus' heart for the church, wasn't it? 
He prayed for it. Go back to John 17. He prayed for it. Make them one. So the world will know that you sent me. Make them one. So the world will believe. I mean, that was the heart of Jesus for his people. And we've just seen clearly it was the heart of Paul, the Apostle Paul, for the churches. His heart for the churches was that they would practice unity. They had unity, positional through Christ, through salvation. But his heart was, now you need to be practicing that unity. Practice that relational unity with one another. Is it your heart? You knew I'd get to that, didn't you? It was Jesus' heart that his people would practice relational unity. It was the heart of the Apostle Paul for the churches that they would practice relational unity. Is that your heart for this church? Is that your heart for your church if you're from another church? Is that your heart as it was the heart of Jesus and the heart of the Apostle Paul? Is it your heart the practice of relational unity? Among God's people. Now, please, don't leave today. Don't finish up this series saying, Yes, it's my heart. Practicing relational unity with God's people is my heart. Do not leave saying that, yet doing nothing about it. It's easy to say, that's my heart. Relational unity among God's people. And then we quarrel. And we judge. And we put down. And we divide, and we isolate, and we complain, and we want nothing to do with those Christians. It's one thing to say, yes, it's my heart. It's another to practice it, right? Like anything. So please don't say it's your heart unless it is your heart. It was Jesus' heart. It was the Apostles Paul's heart. May it be your heart. And may you practice it. Relational unity. It's my heart. It's my heart. And that's probably why in the last two years my heart has been really confused. As I have watched churches in general including ours, we didn't escape. Practice disunity. 
because the practice of relational unity among God's people is my heart, it really confused my heart. How can this be? Uh, I experienced sadness of heart. How can this be happening? How can God's people be taking something that might be important, but it's not on that platform of major doctrines of Scripture? And making it their number one focus and willing to divide over it, it it confused my heart. It saddened my heart. And there were times it broke my heart because I have a heart for the practice of relational unity among God's people. I hope you have that heart too. And are willing to put it into action because God has stirred you these last weeks to remind you. And I'm excited about the rest of this year. Because I see the rest of this year now as a rebuilding time. As we move forward with this renewed desire and heart to practice relational unity. Among ourselves here, but with other believers around us. I skipped one verse that really shows the heart of Paul in this area. And it was when he was writing to the Romans. So let's go back there and finish up. Romans chapter 15. Paul has had to address these quarrels and disputes on Maybe not unimportant things, but surely not things that were key in the kingdom of God. You know, the major doctrines. And so he comes to chapter 15 and wraps this up. And you see his heart as he sums it up in verse 5 and 6 of chapter 15. Paul says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Jesus Christ. You see his heart? May God give you people, he says, a spirit of unity. That's a heart for unity. A spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Jesus Christ. So that, verse 6, With one heart and one mouth, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another. And I ask myself the question, how can God's people glorify God with one heart and one mouth if they do not have the spirit of unity among themselves. If God's people do not have that heart for practicing unity, relational unity among themselves, how can they, with one heart and one mouth, glorify God together? 
Seems to me it would be just words coming out of mouths. Before we can glorify God with one heart and mouth together, we've got to have this spirit of unity among ourselves and this heart to actively practice that relational unity. And I am praying that that becomes the result of God moving in our midst in the last six weeks and just burning again on our hearts the desire Jesus had, the desire the Apostle Paul had to practice relational unity. So, um, we're going to wrap things up, the service as well as the series. And this is how we're going to do it. Um, I want to challenge you to just commit yourselves to not only having a heart for relational unity, practicing unity together, but I want to really challenge you then to step out and practice it. Practice that relational unity. It doesn't mean we're all going to be alike. It doesn't mean now we're all going to wear the same color shirt to church or you know, have the same haircut or uh, have the same view on who's going to win the Super Bowl. We're not going to be exactly alike. But we need to have a heart that says, through Jesus Christ, I have been united with these people through our common salvation. And despite any differences we have, I am committed, as far as it depends on me, to practice relational unity with them. And so I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray a prayer of commitment, because this is my commitment. And, uh, and if you want it to be your commitment, then I encourage you to stand with me. So would you do that? I'm going to pray. Our Father, we stand before you, and I presume as your people who have through Jesus experienced your forgiveness and your salvation. Our Father, we stand before you, and we just want you to know that what Jesus prayed for and what Paul yearned for and taught, that's our heart too, Lord. That's what we desire, to practice relational unity with our brothers and sisters. Whether we're different or not, whether we agree on different things or not, Father, we stand committing ourselves to practicing this relational unity. Help us to set aside self every day so that we can do that. And may it allow us with one heart and one voice to bring glory to you and to be a witness to this world that it's possible for people who are so different to be united 
and to live in unity. What a message. What a witness to the world around us. And we want to be a part of that, Father. Move in our church, Lord. Move in many churches in the months ahead toward this practice of relational unity. In Christ's name, we commit ourselves to this. Help us by the power of your spirit in us to live this out. Amen. Now I'm going to ask you to do something else. Because we're going to sing together. And, uh, you know, I was thinking, every Sunday, most of you sing alongside the same people. Isn't that true? Janine, I love you, but I'm not going to stand by you when we sing in the next few minutes. As our worship team comes up to get ready, they're going to lead us in two songs about living out our unity and desiring it. As they're coming up and getting ready, I want you to move around, and I don't want you to sing these songs next to the same people you sing them every Sunday. I want you to find somebody that maybe you don't know too well, but you never stand with when you sing and glorify God. Go stand by them. Or somebody you don't know. I don't care. I'm going to go stand with my boys here because I'm going to feel young. And uh, let's just with one heart and one voice glorify God together through song, standing by someone that we usually don't stand by when we do that.